Hello, I'm Tina Sederholm. Welcome to This Is Not Therapy, a podcast for people who like to find the marvellous in the mundane. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. In fact, I'm in a calmer and more grounded state than I've been for a couple of weeks. This is partly because I'm recording this the day after the Queen's funeral. I watched most of it on the TV and found myself lulled into this meditative state from the repetitive beat of the drum and the soldier's footsteps, contrasting with the silence of the crowds. I don't think I've ever seen so many people lined up being so quiet. It got to about 1.30 and I realised, oh, I do need a bit of a break from this. So I nipped out to walk the dog, Nellie. And I was struck that even here, many miles away from the funeral, there was an absence of background noise from the road and from the sky. It was as if the world's freneticism had taken a back seat for the day. It reminded me of lockdown and the big collective sigh that many of us were able to take. And so that's how I've woken up this morning, as if I had a almost a, a day at an ashram. Anyway, whatever state you're in, welcome to episode seven of This Is Not Therapy, which is called How to Delight Your Dental Hygienist. I made it much earlier in the year and I've been resisting putting it out, which is funny and ironic because although the title might lead you to believe that it's about dentistry slash people pleasing, I know, interesting combo, is actually about resistance. I don't know about you, but I find myself resisting all sorts of things every day of the week. My to-do list, exercise, hoovering, my accounts, even writing, which I love doing. But I can still do an epic resistance dance around the action of putting pen to paper. And what I'm resisting today is putting out an episode that is about resistance. I know, (laughs) I know. The format is quite different from many of the other episodes I've done, mainly because I roped in my friend Wendy to talk about her response to the story that I'm going to tell about my dental hygienist. And the conversation went way deeper than I realised. Now, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. And that's not really the problem, is it? No, Tina. The real reason that I'm resisting putting it out is because, well, it was one of the first times I've done an interview, a a recorded interview. And uh, I think I make a couple of mistakes. And I also get rather screechy because I got a bit excited talking to my friend. And that's embarrassing. But when I listen back to the audio, I realise that there is more of value in it than there is of cringe. And so I've decided that I will resist my resistance to putting out an episode about resistance and just put it out there. Uh, So this is what the format is for this week. I'm going to talk to Wendy a bit about her experiences with dentists, 
to lull her into a full sense of security, right? Uh, Then we're going to listen to my story about my resistance to a certain aspect of dental care. And afterwards, Wendy and I chat further and uncover some surprising revelations for both of us around the ways we resist things we think we should be doing, you know, if we were good people. So here we go. I'm going to press play. Are you ready? Hi, Wendy. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really good. Uh, Do you want to tell everybody where where you live? Well, I mean, you don't have to give me your address, but. um... (laughs) I live in Los Angeles, California, and you've actually visited me. I have. Do you know that that was nine years ago? What? Yes. I know. We've been through so much. Can I tell the story of how this happened? Oh, will you tell it? All right. Well, Tina was in a woman's leadership group with me. And we there was a retreat in Central California. And she posted that she was interested in going. Long story short, I live in Los Angeles. She was flying into LAX. And I said, why don't you have a stay with me? And we'll go up together. Um, just had been friends through the internet. And um, Next thing you know, she's uh, coming into a bus, uh, the flyaway bus in, in Van Nuys, and I picked <laughs> her up, and we had a, quite a time, and we've been friends ever since. Oh, we really have. I mean, uh, it's a it's a, a testament to a friendship that I think one of the first things I did was block your toilet, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I had, it, you know, when you, as you said, we are friends over the internet. But when you first meet someone, and they kindly pick you up from the airport, and they give you a lovely meal, and the next morning you have to go. I'm uh, really sorry, but um, you're loose blocked. And uh, and you came and had a go and you went, no, I can't do this. And you just left the note for your husband. I think. <laughs> and we took off for the retreat. And I think he just sent you a message like, Wendy, don't you know how your house works? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you probably you probably filtered that lovely piece of information out of your brain and um very wisely too, but never mind. Um, so anyway, let's we we just uh, are two friends who really enjoy talking. Um, maybe about sound really arrogant at a deeper level. No, we like to get under the skin, don't we, of what's happening for us and support each other with sort of the changes that are going through our lives. So, so uh, Wendy, how do you feel about going to the dentist? The dentist is a good place for me because I am a very disciplined flosser and brusher. Are you? Mm-hmm. Have you How all- do you feel? Oh, well, I'm I'm pretty good. Yes, I I really like scoring those brownie points. Um, yeah. So, but I would say I'm a little bit of a cheat in that my teeth get a lot of attention for about three weeks before the appointment, and then I might get a bit <laughs> slack in between. Um, but I was terrible as a child. Um, I mean, I did clean my teeth, but, uh, um, of course I'm British. So, you know, we don't have American teeth. And, uh, I ended up with a lot of fillings when I was about 15, cause I just ate so much sugar and we, we never flossed or did anything like that. It was just like, shoo, 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 around with a toothbrush. <laughs> um, and that was it. And then it was just that horrible experience of having four or five fillings, which yeah, now need care and attention, but you've got lovely teeth. So oh, thank you. I was given the fluoride trays and uh, whitening treatments oh. and all kinds of orthodontia and 
all kinds of things and retainers and oh and you went that. through all that hell oh yeah Oh my yeah, gosh. Was, I was I was only eight years old and they told me that was, you know, important in some way. It's it's culturally very strange. It is, it is a, a thing in America. I remember when we were in that leadership group, um, actually laughing because most people were American and they there was that kind of Oprah thing of if you do nothing else, fix your teeth. And <laughs> I, in my very British way, got quite arrogant and said, Oh, well, you know, in this country, it's actually a sort of sign of being a bit lower class that you know you fix <gasps> your teeth. Yes, I did. That's so funny. I can bear all these because you don't have that classic American smile where like the teeth are so big, you think, how do you close your mouth at night? Um, <laughs> your, yours look very natural to me. So I don't feel like I, I don't know enough on that level of implant. Um, yeah, but uh, but uh, yes, I was like because I've got typical British crooked teeth and I've got this um uh, sort of inherited from my father. I've only got two teeth in between my incisors instead of four. So I've got quite a gap there. And uh, and I'm, I'm sort of like proud of my slightly funky teeth. <laughs> I love that. You're embracing your your character and, and giving, giving, I don't know, embracing your uniqueness. I've actually um, kind of gone on a little limb too lately talking about American beauty standards. So now I'm 44, all of a sudden everyone's talking about freezing their face with Botox. Yes. I admit I fell for that. Did you? For about three years, I I was doing it, coinciding with a divorce from my husband, trying to look hot, going on the market. And I've lately decided to quit that. I don't want a frozen face um, Mm. and embrace lines and wrinkles. So going back to the more Mm. natural, like, what is wrong with the way I look? All of a sudden, it went from uh, the American standard of being a certain weight to now in our 40s. It's you can't have a line on your face. I know. Which is yes. bonkers, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, good for you. I love that. I love the stand you're making on that for yourself. Yeah. And uh, you've got a pretty hot boyfriend now, so pfft, it just shows, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Maybe maybe if you get a frozen face, you just end up with a boyfriend with a frozen face. I don't know. <laughs> or another frozen part of the body. This conversation is not going where I expected it to go, but I am enjoying it. <laughs> Anyway, These are the current things going on in, in yes. the world. After me arrogantly saying, oh, yes, we like to talk about the deep things in life. No, Botox. So uh, the reason I brought this up, Wendy, about whether you like going to the dentist is because today's story is called How to Delight Your Dental Hygienist. Oh, my goodness. This should be interesting. <laughs> OK, well, then let's have a listen. How to Delight Your Dental Hygienist Eva, my dental hygienist, is a power pack of enthusiasm. I've met few people who love their job more, apart from the rat man who came to our flat a few years ago, but that's another story. Eva was a cardiac nurse, but got inspired to retrain when she heard a famous dental professor ask what difference it would make to health and quality of life if people got to keep their own teeth until the day they died. That makes me think of my dad, whose teeth have turned brown in recent years. He also has Alzheimer's, and I am glad I was not one of the care home staff trying to keep him calm as the dentist extracted the rotting stumps. 
Imagine, too, if my 80-year-old mother didn't have to undergo several four-hour sessions to fit a bridge. Or you never had to have another anaesthetic injected into your gum. Eva has been trying to persuade me to switch to an electric toothbrush for about 18 months. She's not the first hygienist to suggest it. But none of them have gone into such detail about why. No one else pointed out the choice of oscillating speeds or tried them out on the back of my hand so I could experience the difference. This is why, at my appointment last week, I was so excited to tell her that I had finally bought an electric toothbrush. Her face lit up. Oh, you've made my day. I could cuddle you, she said. That's kind of her accent. After inspecting my teeth, she congratulated me on how fantastic they looked, how the gums were a healthy pink and had stopped receding. She was so enthusiastic that I felt brave enough to make an admission. The thing is, Eva, the reason I always resisted buying an electric toothbrush was I thought it looked lazy. And I can't bear for anyone to think I'm lazy. With a manual toothbrush... You have to put some effort in. But an electric? Well, you just stand there, holding it, only shifting onto the next tooth every three seconds. And yes, I do know how silly that sounds. Here's the deeper truth, though, which I didn't tell Eva because obviously I want her to love me. I wasn't the one who bought the electric toothbrush. My husband did. I mentioned in passing that my hygienist kept on about it and then mumbled that it was bottom of the shopping list of things I would buy when I had some money. Neil tutted at me and then had Amazon deliver my salvation. I think about other simple things I've resisted for a long time. Did you know when flying there is a way that you can rest the tongue of your seatbelt in the buckle without clicking it shut? In my 20s, I used to do that all the time. I don't know why. I guess I just liked having a bit of freedom. Only in planes, though. Never a car. I could say it was all about personal autonomy, but that's just a posh way of saying I don't like being told what to do. There's no real logic to it, though I'm sure I could find some evidence to justify my stance if I tried hard enough. I don't know why we are so resistant to things we know are good for us or to things we really want to do. But I know resistance raises its head inside me all the time. And recently, I've started to use it as a diagnostic. I don't mean resistance in like, no, I've had enough to eat. I think I'll stop now. I mean The resistance that feels like an angry, frightened beast that rears up inside and threatens to strangle you. When I feel that, I know I may well be on the edge of something I do want to do, but I'm scared of failing at. And to get round that one, I need a strategy or game to dodge past it. So, Wendy, what was your gut response to that story? There was a bit of an oof at the end. You end on a punch. Oh, did it it sort of punch you in the guts? Why was that? 
I think it's because I don't want to see my own resistance. I have resistance to seeing my resistance. <gasps> like, mm. Oh, wow. Really? Tell me more. I think humans don't want to see their flaws. So the more I thought about my own resistance throughout the story, I realized I don't have any. I don't have any. I'm, I do everything. I'm very disciplined. I do this. I do that. Oh, wait. There is something I don't do. <laughs> Are you going to tell us what it is? Tina, I don't feed myself like an adult. I have five <laughs> degrees. I run a school. I cannot for the life of me go to the grocery store and cook a meal. Really? I eat bowls of popcorn, rice cakes, a cheese stick, maybe chips with a little bit of cheese on them at night. I can't feed myself properly. It's major resistance to going to the grocery store and feeding myself like an adult. So is it the food or is it the actually the preparation of it? The preparation of it. Yes. Mind you, I prepare each a school each year for 700 students. <laughs> I cannot prepare a chicken breast with spinach to save my life. You uh is it because you um you know, you've done a, you, you start ridiculously early. I can't, I don't know what time you get up now, but when we met, you used to leave for work at 5 a.m. So. A little less crazy 6.20 a.m. Oh my but God, I do what get a up around five, yes. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. But I think it actually goes a little deeper the more I think about it. Is this a time to tell you this? Is this a bit of yeah. a therapy thing? Okay. Yeah, as much so as you I want about, to. I thought about this issue. So when I was a child, my father insisted on being in the kitchen and would not allow me to set foot in the kitchen while he was cooking. Mm -hmm. Then I married a man who had the same thing with me and would not allow me in the kitchen. Every time I tried, he either said he didn't like what I made or needed to take over the kitchen, wouldn't allow me to cook. Um, uh -huh. Or if I actually gone through and actually cooked a meal, the onions were not cut correctly or this and that. And, and there was something wrong with anything I did. Now I live on my own and I don't know what to do. And I'm 44 years old. <laughs> well, isn't it wonderful that you still got something to learn? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you were perfect, you know. <laughs> then I would be a Botoxed, uh, straight white <laughs> teeth person. That's We wouldn't be friends now, would we? Wow. I I mean, goodness me, I can see why you've got resistance. It's just because you've never kind of really learned it. Do you think, are you a little bit scared of it or is it just, it doesn't come into your mindset? It doesn't come in and I just like would rather do anything but go to the grocery store and think about making something. Um, anything else but that. Anything. Take a walk, hang out with my dog, talk to my friend read a book, anything but go to the grocery store and actually plan a meal. Oh. Do you know what What I'm thinking while you're speaking? Like, mm. nobody has to be good at everything. Yes. Ah, oh, oh, relief. Thank you. Do that. I mean, I'm allowed to resist this? I'm allowed to just go, I'm, maybe I'm just not going to do this in my life. Yeah. I was reading, yeah. I, I've just read a really interesting book called 4,000 Weeks by a man called Oliver Berkman. And he makes the point, you know, that we, we have this, I'm really paraphrasing and I read it a couple of months ago. So this maybe uh, have some of my projection in there. I'm going to own that one. But he was speaking about how um, actually you can only do a few things really well. And, uh, 
part part of why we don't we might not even do do those things well is because we're still trying to cram in all the things that we think we should be doing as you know in addition to our you know the things that are really important to us and he had this wonderful thing where he wrote that if you were uh working on a big project or really engaged with your children because they were going through a difficult time you might have to let your fitness regime go for a bit and I've never heard anybody and it made perfect sense to me it's like yes of course you've got this other thing which is just a higher priority and it's not a failing to go you know what I'm probably not going to run this week I'll just just go for a little walk and that'll be enough because I've got my focus needs to go over to this area so I'm just wondering if maybe you know Mm, you could cut yourself some slack there I love that I love that idea that um I think that is very, maybe, I don't know, is it is it offensive to say very American to think that we can have it all? Maybe you just can't have it all and you need to make some concessions and allowances for the things that aren't going to be that important to you. Well, is that thought a relief or a depression? It's, well, in this case, it's a relief. Am I allowed mm-hmm. to just sort of, maybe I'd like to eat a bit healthier and I can think about that, but do I have to be a good cook who says no? No. I don't no. think you do. No. No. And I'm th- I also uh, another wonderful book. I'm trying to remember the name of that one. One small step can save uh, change your life. And it's the um it's about this the Japanese process of I'm going to pronounce this wrong, please somebody tell me how to say it properly. Kaizen where you just mm-hmm. make such a tiny change uh, that you reduce um, it's such a small step that you reduce all resistance to the step. Mm. So if it's somebody who chronically has been unable to get themselves to exercise, it's a, in a in the break of, a, you know, when you've got TV commercial or commercials between programs that you just stand up and walk around the room twice and then sit mm-hmm. down again. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's so tiny. I can do that. But actually, if you do that several days in the row, maybe you walk around the room three times or four mm-hmm. times oh there was mm-hmm. another really good story in this where this woman was unable to give up like that final teaspoon of sugar that she put in her coffee every day she reduced it down from like four or five so <laughs> the guy just suggested to her, to her to remove two or three grains per day huh? and it took her like six months or a year to get down to like such a tiny amount it wasn't worth putting in her in her coffee anymore but um yeah, I sometimes, certainly for me, whenever I'm resisting something, breaking it down to just the tiniest, tiniest step is. Oh, that's very, that's relieving. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's lovely talking to you, Wendy. Thank you. you. Too. Thanks Thank for listening. You. Thanks for listening to my story. I you didn't you. know when we became friends that it was like you were going to get these random suggestions, did you? No, but your friendship blows my mind open, Tina. It really does. We that's talking about going deep, just hearing a little bit about resistance, realizing I have resistance to thinking about it. I'm perfect. Wait, actually, um, I'm not, and it it's giving me permission to not be perfect, to wow. have my wrinkles and uh, imperfect teeth. Oh, wrinkles, imperfect teeth, teeth, and I drink book. <laughs> <laughs> and and eat and eat cheese straws. Woohoo! Well, I think we have solved one of the world's major problems today, Wendy. And we probably should sign off there. Thanks. Hey. Talk to you soon. Bye.
So there we go. Oh, you know what? I hope you have a friend like Wendy who you can share your tender bits with without fear of mocking or reprisal. You may have noticed that there was no poem. Honestly, I think we talked enough. There was enough going on uh, in this episode without the need for a poem. And more pointedly, many of the poems in the book, This Is Not Therapy. Oh, yes. Did you not know? There's actually a book called This Is Not Therapy. And many of the poems in it are directly or indirectly about me going through resistance on a variety of subjects. Which leads me nicely into this segue, because next week on October the 6th, it's National Poetry Day. And so to celebrate that, for the month of October, I'm offering 25% off This Is Not Therapy. And you can get that 25% off by using the code T-I-N-T-25, so TINT25, at my website, www.tinasetterhome.com. Not only that, I'm offering 50% off my previous book, Everything Wrong With You Is Beautiful. And you can get that offer by using the code EWIB50 at the checkout. So that's TINT25 for This Is Not Therapy and EWIB50 for Everything Wrong With You Is Beautiful. Just go to my website, tinasetterhome.com and enter the codes at the checkout. And yes, I post all over the world. Hi, Tina again. Thanks for listening to This Is Not Therapy. All the books and resources mentioned in the podcast are listed in the show notes, where you can also sign up to my monthly newsletter. If you want to book me for a talk or show, or even buy a book, please go to www.tinasetterhome.com. And finally, don't forget to subscribe!